Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. And I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast where we talk about uh, faith, life, ministry in an uncut manner. We kind of hop on here and we try and have honest conversations and um, with the hopes of it being beneficial to anyone who would choose to sit in and listen to these conversations. Um, Today we had a number of different kind of topics we were tossing around about what should we talk about? And Cameron, you had an article that you had ran across the other day. Mm-hmm. And after us both reading it, we felt like it was important for us to kind of tackle this. And the, the article itself is kind of the at least the jumping off point for this conversation. Right, right. So, yeah, I came across this article and there were a number of things there were a number of things in it that um, caused me some pause. I guess would be the best thing uh, to say. And I I guess we'll just get right into the article. Mm -hmm. Um, The article comes out of the UK. uh, And the story here is that a Bible professor, theology professor, uh, a college at uh, Cliff College in Derbyshire, Derbyshire, England. Derbyshire. Derbyshire. (laughs) I don't know how you pronounce it, but I think it's Derbyshire. Um, Dr. Aaron Edwards was um, dismissed from his post as uh, professor of theology and Bible at this college uh, for bringing the college into disrepute on social media. He went on, or the article goes on to describe how not only was he dismissed from his position, uh, but he was, there, there has been talk about him being placed on a, um, essentially what is the UK's version of the terrorist watch list. Something like that. Yeah, something some, like that. They, you know, there was some discussion as to whether or not what he had said merited being uh, submitted to that agency. Yeah. And <clears throat> so for me, it's like, wow, this guy must be really off the chain, off the mark or whatever. And right. so you look at the tweets, essentially, which is what – ended up getting him fired. And you see these series of tweets, which um, I want to talk about here. So the the initial tweet that essentially got him fired was this. He says, homosexuality is invading the church. Evangelicals no longer see the severity of this because they're busy apologizing for their apparently barbaric homophobia, whether or not that's true. This is a gospel issue, by the way. If sin is no longer sin, we no longer need a savior. Mm-hmm. He follows up those tweets after his dismissal from the college with um, um, with these ones. He says, that is the conservative view. The acceptance of homosexuality as not sinful is an invasion upon the church historically and doctrinally. This is not a controversial uh, opinion. The acceptance of it is controversial. Most of the global church, and even historically, would agree with this. It's not homophobic to declare homosexuality sinful. Mm -hmm. And then finally, uh, the last tweet, I expressed the conservative view as a doctrinal issue. For example, the implications for sin and the gospel. It was not an attack on individuals. It was addressed to evangelicals. It seems that holding the view that homosexuality 
is sinful is only welcome if it remains unexpressed. Mm. Um, so it says that Edwards was suspended from the school pending an investigation. The college revealed um, and that it was considering revert, referring him to prevent which policies allegations of terrorism in the United Kingdom. Yeah. So um, there are several issues. Uh, I think there are several issues here in this article that I think are worth talking about. Um, we could talk about the issue of uh, the, free, the freedom to express sure. certain views. Yeah. Um, we could talk about the... Um, uh, we could talk about whether or not like his position is the conservative position, is the historical position, is the evangelical position, whatever the case may be. Um, we could talk about the pastoral issues that are mm -hmm. wrapped up in the church's approach to and response to issues of not just homosexuality, but human yeah. sexuality in general. Because the reality is, is that this has been, at least in my generation as a pastor, and I suspect even what I know historically of the um, church in the last, you know, 50 years, which extends beyond my generation, is that this is not necessarily a new issue, mm -hmm. uh, but it certainly has been one of the primary, both theological and political issues in the church. Uh, in my generation as a pastor for, you know, essentially the last two decades, yeah. is what does the church do with? Mm -hmm. How does the church respond? What is the church's position mm -hmm. on issues of human sexuality in general? Probably homosexuality most specifically has been the issue, although, you know, those those issues are expanding and have been expanding into right homosexuality other. kind of being the in sort of the starting point for the larger conversation around sexuality that's happened over the last decade or so or more than decade two decades well, yeah quite quite a while yeah. yeah i don't i i don't remember a time where it has not been where it's not been and mm -hmm. you know what i would consider to be like towards the top of the pile in terms of hot button theological mm -hmm. topics that is talked about. Um, <clears throat> and, I, you know, we were talking a little bit before the mics came on about even the, um, sometimes the difficulty in having yeah. these conversations. I think that's where we should start. Yeah. Um, this is a difficult conversation to have. Mm -hmm. Uh, for me, it's difficult because it um, it is you know my I have dual kind of dual concerns. I don't know. I think maybe one ranks higher than the other. Mm -hmm. My dual my two concerns are one is that as um, as someone who believes that the word of God is true and is um, inspired by God and mm -hmm. is inerrant and infallible and is a faithful representation of the revelation of God and his will mm -hmm. to his people. Um, 
and coupled with the calling that I believe that God has given um, to me and placed on my life to teach the word faithfully and to um, help proclaim the truth of the God's word and the gospel um, is that there is a I have the responsibility to say here here is how God has revealed his heart mm-hmm. his will his um, his stance is maybe the wrong word but his position on it's kind of a funny way to say it right yeah every issue you know mm-hmm. like God has weighed in you know God has weighed in on the issue he's not silent mm-hmm. on the topic and um, something that I think is very poignant in the tweets that got this uh, Dr. Edwards um, dismissed from college is his assertion that the um, that the that the doctrinal, historical, theological position of the church throughout history is that homosexuality specifically is a sin, um, mm-hmm. is correct. Like from 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 the standpoint of like um, understanding what the 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 biblical witnesses, as well as the historical witness of the church, and then the and then orthodox what we would consider to be orthodox doctrine from a conservative evangelical perspective is that that homosexuality being a sin is not really up for debate. I mean, there certainly is professors, sure. scholars, pastors, Christians who would um, use scripture and historical analysis to present a alternative stance mm-hmm. that maybe it's was culturally or contextually bound to the time where the Apostle Paul was speaking, yeah. right? right. Um, you know. Uh, without explaining all of those references here, yeah. you had to take it f- at, like whatever level of trust you have, in my opinion, or whatever. Um, you know, I-, I would say I've read quite a bit on that, uh, quite a bit, and those those arguments in my position, in from my standpoint, are, are pretty weak. Yeah, they're pretty weak. Um, to as in like offering an alternative understanding from the biblical witness of scripture on homosexuality. So, so there's that standpoint is like, it's kind of unambiguously clear mm-hmm. and based on the calling and my, my, my belief that, that this does accurately reveal the heart of God is like, it kind of, kind of pushes me into responsibility to proclaim. Right. Yeah. On the other side over here, we have the um, we have the human ele- the human element, right? Or the pastoral element, mm-hmm. which is I love people, mm-hmm. and my heart for them is to know the depth of God's love for them, yeah. the depth of God's grace in Jesus Christ, the desire of God to um indwell in them through faith in Jesus Christ by his holy spirit mm-hmm. justifying them through the work of the cross sanctifying them through the ongoing work of the holy spirit the proc- and the in the word and releasing them from the shame that comes from sin and the attack of the enemy and freeing them into abundant life as John or as um John recorded Jesus saying in John 10:10 10, 10. 
Um, and <clears throat> because their because human sexuality is so incredibly complex and I think personal it's, and personal, right? It's not like it, you can't separate someone's sexuality from their whole personhood. Right. We're not we're not here talking about someone's opinion as to whether or not they think the Marvel movies are great cinema or not. Right. Right. It's like this is more personal than your opinions about you know current superhero cinema. Right. Very deeply personal for people. Um, extraordinarily difficult. In fact, impossible. And I don't believe we should separate a person's sexuality, whether they have same-sex same sex attraction or whether they are heterosexual or mm-hmm. any, any and everything in between, um, it, the ability to separate that from someone's personhood is like be like separating someone from their arms, right? That's right. a part of who they are. Um, but I have this deep desire to not to, you know, like kind of maybe the Hippocratic oath that a doctor takes is to do no harm. Right, right. Because... You and I are having this conversation with each other. Right. Right. With microphones between us. Mm-hmm. And there's no actual person in the room with us right. who is struggling with same-sex attraction mm-hmm. or is living a homosexual lifestyle or questioning their sexuality. There's there's nobody who is currently exhibiting as a pastoral person that we're talking directly to. Mm-hmm. And when we're like... I think sometimes there's a run. I I imagine you probably ran into this um, in seminary, and I ran into it in Bible college. Like, you get young people who want to be pastors, and they think being a pastor means I get to tell people what to do and I get to preach. Mm -hmm. And then they, at some point, you know either find out that that's not the reality of what being called to a pastor is, Mm because you cannot be a pastor without sheep, cannot be a pastor without people to care for and to shepherd. And so um, without a element of being a shepherd, you're just a, you know, I don't know, you're giving a bad TED talk once a week. Right. Um, So all that to say, like, we are informed in how we do ministry by who we're talking to. Right. Right. That is the context through which we do ministry. And so coming here and talking about a deeply personal issue without a person in front of us to inform how we talk about this, to inform the the specific avenues that we will choose to go down to and choose not to go down uh, the, the tone in which we have mm-hmm. is, becomes very difficult because now we have to clarify um, who are we talking to, right? Right. We're talking to a general <clears throat> at-large congregation of people that we know we interact with, and right. And then on a level of that, we're interacting with just general public on some level. Yes. Well, you know, and there's the additional thing is that <clears throat> people listening or watching. Only they're only seeing what we're showing them. Yes, you know they're it's it's impossible to see the personal connections and ministry and pastoral care and shepherding that we have done, will continue to do, are right. doing with those who do have really significant questions or um, uh, in regards to their own sexuality yeah. and their own attractions and yeah. 
um, and have entrusted those conversations to us mm-hmm. and that we take with extraordinary, extraordinary care and um, grace mm-hmm. and uh, in a in an environment and context of love for that person and love for God and a desire to see them, you know, live into who God has created them to be and who God desires them to be. Yeah. Um, the question there in though there is like, okay, is this is this a um, for instance, if we're talking about homosexuality, is this what God desires for me? Mm-hmm. Is this is this who God has made me to be? Um, and so the question is in one way incredibly complex and in another way it's not complex Mm -hmm. at all it's very simple and so i think the um dichotomy between those two things the human element and pastoral pastorally being Mm -hmm. caring for other people and what we know to be true from god's word they sometimes smash into each other and when they smash into each other, they can do a lot of damage, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're not careful yeah. or not caring for. Um, and I think that's been kind of, and he alluded to this, or the article alluded to it um, as well, is that um, the there is the general there is the general perception that um, I don't even think it's really a perception anymore, as much as it is an opinion in my estimation, is that if you hold the position Mm -hmm. that homosexuality is sinful, then you are barbarically homophobic Mm -hmm. um, and that you don't love those who are gay. Yeah. That's 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 the running narrative. Yes. Even in the church, in a lot of in a lot of places, mm-hmm. like you are homophobic, you're afraid of them, which is all, or you're um, you're unloving, mm-hmm. you're not accepting them for who they are, yeah. you're not, um, and so this is where, and this is why, for me, it becomes like this issue of I use this phrase before we turn the mics on of. Walking through a minefield. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can I, can we talk about this in an honest and clear way yep. without being assaulted um, with, essentially assaulted with the idea that, well, you guys just hate gay people. Right. Or you're homophobic. Or why don't you love them? Mm-hmm. Um, which does not hold in balance the dichotomy of what we actually do and practice in ministry that you just don't see because you right. can't see it and it's confidential. But um, it becomes a really tricky issue to talk about. Well, yeah. Well, so I guess all this to say is like if you're listening and you are someone who is you know in some way wrestling with your sexuality or you have a dear loved one who is um, – homosexual or wrestling with their sexuality. We don't by any means intend significant significant offense no. or uh, or 
I don't want to go too down like a philosophical rabbit hole, but we, we intend and we would hope if we were having a personal conversation with you, we would do so in a way that's honoring and loving and kind while being truthful, but just kind of acknowledging the fact that we're not able to do that. Right. We're coming here and having a conversation with just you, the two of us in the room, knowing that this conversation is going to be listened to by other people. But the thing is, is like, this hasn't been a topic that either of us have, I think, at least, I don't don't know about, at least your tenure here at Conduit and my experience in ministries thus far, this is not a topic I've talked publicly a lot about. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think, and for some fair reasons, right? Like, I'm not... Like, this could easily become, and it does for many people, become, like, the only thing they talk about. Right. Right. And for us, it's not. No. Mm -mm. Right? And we don't want it to be. Like, this. we don't want this podcast to become the... uh, Defining. The defining, or we don't want it to be, uh, you know, we don't want this whole show to turn into Pastor Cameron and Pastor Luke sit down and talk about sexuality. Mm -hmm. Because the topic is big enough that we could, right? That could be the only thing we talked about for every episode here on out. It's not what we intend or want. Um, But we do think that there is a point at which there is so much, there's so many people talking about this in the public sphere, putting forth different ways to think about it theologically, um, personally, all of these things you are encountering, if you're listening to this, this isn't the first podcast you've probably heard on homosexuality. Like, we are immensely late to the game as far as that is concerned. Right. Um, Yeah, and I don't don't think that we're going to be offering anything that's completely novel or insightful other than just saying, like, this is a dichotomy that we re- that we recognize, but we do hold a particular position. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and so I guess, but we do did do feel like to not uh, us not being willing to talk about it and engage with it in this sphere, even outside of the personal context, is in some way abdicating our responsibility to disciple, to teach, to. Uh, help people think through these things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of, I right. guess, where that kind of yeah. goes. I feel like that's maybe the end of that yeah. hallway. Yeah, right. So I, I think one of the uh, one of the important dynamics to be that we can use to maybe to begin to discuss this is what is the um, – maybe what you would call the historical theological position, mm-hmm. both of the church. And when we say the historical theological position of the church, we're not saying like, oh, the church, like we're saying that those historical theological positions have their basis fundamentally in the pages of scripture. Yeah. So we're not saying that it as like, well, the church says this, but scripture says this. Right. I, I use those terms fairly synonymously. synonymously. Yeah. Right. Um, so, there's we we must understand that the church, the the community of saints, right? Those who have expressed faith throughout history in Jesus Christ, um, who, um, you know, worship the monotheistic Trinitarian God, yeah. right? 
um, have it, that group of people extends far beyond our own context and our own experience. Mm -hmm. So we tend to think very myopically about what the church is. Mm -hmm. Well, the church is places like conduit right? or, you know, such and such Baptist church or such and such Methodist church or such and such Presbyterian or Catholic or whatever it's, you know, and the churches that we see in our community. Well, we must understand that there's a historical backlog of mm-hmm. people who have expressed and practiced the Christian faith for upwards of 2,000 years yeah. now, right? Um, billions of Christians. Mm-hmm. There is also now currently in 2023 mm-hmm. um, uh, extraordinary diversity and breadth and depth of the Christian faith, yeah, and um, the if you were to put a pie graph of Christians in the world right now, the United States, right, would occupy a very small sliver of yes. that pie. Yes, right. That Christian, the Christian population in the world today is far greater in places like South America, mm-hmm. um, Africa continent of africa mm-hmm. and the continent of asia mm-hmm. extraordinary there's more christians in in china than there are in the united states right. they're hard to count they're hard to, yeah. right um uh and so and so when we say well the 21st century 2023 christian church in the united states is the um is the voice for christianity as it has existed in generations right. past, and even as it exists in um, generation present, mm-hmm. is it's just flat out false. Yeah, it's extraordinarily yeah. narrow. We're the ones with the TV shows, but that doesn't mean that we're a good representation of Christians, historic or current. Ex- exactly. Yeah. So we need to understand that when someone says something like the historic doctrinal theological position of the church has been that homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching or considered to be a sin, that we're not just drawing on, hey, what is the current opinion in the church in Western New York in 2023? Right. Because that is, that's like, you can't even put a percentage on what that is in comparison to all the history of Christianity and Christian doctrine. And so... When you look at the historical position of the church, theological position of the church, it is overwhelmingly affirmative that um, that uh, sexual practices like homosexuality, mm-hmm. homosexuality itself, is uh, is considered to be either sinful or, like some churches put in their doctrine, incompatible with Christian teaching. Yeah. Um, and so we're. N- we're not saying something to say that homosexuality is sinful is not saying something that's particularly novel. No, it's very old. It's actually very, very old. And but we also should make the commentary that old does not equal antiquated. Mm-hmm. It's not like a oh, we moved on from telephones a long time ago. Why don't we move on from that? Um, it doesn't mean antiquated or bad. Um, it actually 
gives credence to its the fundamental truth that lies therein that for little literally millennia this has been the understanding among those who hold faith in Jesus Christ and in the scripture and so to say that now let's say in the last 50 years of western christianity we've come to now get some kind of special revelation or better understanding mm-hmm. of the word and christian doctrine than 2000 years of christianity has had is foolish yeah to say that we somehow well we understand it better now than maybe the apostle paul understood it right who had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus himself right. and who was friends with Peter, James, John, who, you know. Um, so there is a, I don't think it's, um, I think it would be the church's job to, I, th- I think Christians would have to say, all right, the burden is now upon us to tell why 2,000 years of church doctrine and church theology and Christian faith has been wrong and we are right mm-hmm. rather than the other way around. The burden of proof. Burden of proof is on us to, to determine what did they get wrong there? Mm-hmm. They obviously didn't love people, which is incredibly myopic in my view. Well, and the thing is too, is that in order to, I won't say that every argument for homosexuality is fits under this category, but a significant amount of them do require a hermeneutic of, well, they just were them back there and they just didn't get it and we've progressed. And so now we can ignore that piece. Right. And that hermeneutic is problematic because nothing is safe from it. Nothing is safe. Nothing is safe from that. Mm-hmm. And that includes salvation. Yep. Includes God actually existing. Mm-hmm. Um, because who becomes the arbiter of that? Right. Right. And ultimately it's you or cultural sensibility. Um, and so it's not a, if you have to use a hermeneutic that leans heavily on that sentiment or that frame of mind when approaching those texts, um, you there's nothing saying that that hermeneutic is not justifiably applied to every other text as well. And so you are undermining and undercutting essentially all which you can kind of stand underneath intellectual with intellectual honesty mm-hmm. in your interpretation of the Bible. Right. Um I do think it's worth saying and I think this is maybe kind of what what has happened and it's interesting for me to see how uh, Christian theology and talking and thinking around sexuality has changed over the last 50 years and within sight of uh, orthodoxy mm-hmm. is I do think it's worth saying that uh, the pastoral response to people struggling with same-sex attraction has not always been what it maybe should be. No, absolutely right? not. And I think what has happened... And and I this is me just wondering aloud. I'm not some sort of social expert or anything like that. But what I wonder is if we've 
who hold the orthodox position have had to wrestle with, okay, this is a little bit more, now that we're talking about it, and it's not just something you don't talk about, um, it is more complex than maybe we're willing to admit initially. Mm -hmm. And maybe we do need to figure out how to pastorally handle this better. But in doing so and kind of making that admission and maybe kind of having to stop and retreat, we've maybe kind of stopped talking altogether about it. And now we're getting to a point where I feel like um, there is a growing population of Christians and pastors and Christian leaders who have a more robust understanding of sexuality as a whole, a better integration of it into biblical doctrine and pastoral care, but we haven't yet begun to bring that forward in a really public and clear way yet. Because we've just been apologizing for what well, we've been because, doing in the past. Yeah, because doing so is is obvious what happens, right? right? You get removed from a position as a professor of the Bible, and you get p- potentially put on a terrorist watch list from like right. crying out loud, like what, where, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, and to be clear, like we're we're talking about this in our stream, so we're not talking about any of the political implications of this. We're not talking about like, we're talking about this from a theological, biblical, pastoral perspective. We're not, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not going to go down a rabbit hole of like governments and making policies. We're simply addressing what I think his initial tweet was trying to call out was like other churches, other Christians Mm -hmm. and saying, hello, um, we why? Need, why are we abandoning this long-held doctrine and principle? Right. For what reason? So, right. so that we can avoid being considered barbarically homophobic. I think yeah. that's this term. Um, which I understand the sentiment. I, I do understand the sentiment. I want to go back to something that you said because it reminded me of a conversation that I had. Oh my gosh, this must have been probably almost fifteen years ago now. I was writing a paper. Um. So I did two. Ma- I did a couple of different programs um, in my own theological education, and one of them, the end of it was to write uh, essentially an exegetical paper, which is to uh, pick a passage of scripture and exegete, interpret, apply, um, explain uh, various viewpoints or whatever. I chose First Corinthians chapter six. Because at the time, um, issues around human sexuality were so like all the time, yeah. um, especially in the denomination that I was a part of at the time. And um, so I chose First Corinthians chapter six. Well, one of the um, one of the processes that you you go through when you offer a thesis like that is that you have you have thesis advisors, and then you have a panel of people that read the thesis, and they. Essentially, you go through oral arguments over, like, can you defend your thesis? Can you defend it? And I had um, to choose, um, or I didn't actually have to, but my advisor chose someone who he knew held a different position than the one that I was putting forward because, okay, can can I defend my position? And I was young. I was a young pastor. I was maybe 25 at that time or so. Um, and was uh, a little nervous about it because um, this was a you know a scholarly person, pastor yep. also, and yep. he had um, 
he had essentially made the point that, or had made the argument that um, whether or not we were talking about, okay, well, does Paul, who primarily speaks about um, homosexuality as a sin, would Jesus agree with Paul? Yeah. You know, would, would Jesus agree with Paul? Yeah. And so, um, because we don't see Jesus mention... He doesn't mention homosexuality. He doesn't say the word homosexuality. He does not, no. Or the the Greek iterations of it. Right. Um, what he does mention is the nature of, for instance, marriage. Mm-hmm. That marriage would should be between one man and one woman. Um, and so my... Um, this professor's position was is that well um, you know that they that that Paul and Jesus in those were reacting to um, issues that were contextually specific to them. Mm-hmm. They were they were responding out of what was the um, you know cultural norm for their time to be homophobic essentially. So the reverse argument to that is mm-hmm. that we would then it I think what it does is especially in the case of Jesus is it communicates an extraordinary low Christology. Yes. You know, um whereas you know Jesus okay now we're seeing Jesus as somehow um misunderstanding God's will, will. his mm-hmm. heart which strikes against the whole divinity of Jesus being one with the Father, you know, being the perfect re- representation of God's being, you know, mm-hmm. it tears apart Trinitarian belief. Yeah. But also that somehow in that as well, that God doesn't understand, or that Jesus does not understand God's will. And two, that somehow Jesus is bound by his context and can only speak into the context mm-hmm. rather than speaking eternally. Mm-hmm. Does sort of the same thing that you said about having a hermeneutic that of essentially a hermeneutic of suspicion where now everything is fair game to deconstruct because it was bound in a context uh, or in a historical context that was not as progressive or that we didn't is we don't have as much understanding. We have more understanding than they had then. Um, And so I think it's important to, I, I, you know, I guess what I'm saying is that like um, Paul and Jesus agree well, and if they don't agree, then or if we think that, that they don't agree, then we have some very we have we have a we have significant problems theologically yeah. with who we believe Jesus is. Well, and we have significant problems with the Bible, right? Right? Like you, like I don't know. Not everyone listening will will have run into this, but occasionally you will run into, um, and it's it has some value, right? So we did a did a class last night on um, Nicene Creed and the controversy of is Jesus fully God Mm -hmm. and fully human? Mm -hmm. And they had to argue over that. And the argument for that, you know, Jesus was begotten, John Mm 3.16. Well, in answering that question, I stayed mostly inside of the book of John to try and show that the author, John, the apostle, was not communicating that um, Jesus was born had a beginning he was physically born he had a beginning in human life but he was pre-existent yes. right and so i backed up and went to john 1 right right and i did that because i wanted to show that there was some cohesion in john's thought but 
because I also believe the entire Bible is inspired, I could go to Luke, or I could go to Paul, or I could go to anywhere in the or Bible. Or Genesis, which you, which you did go to. Right. right. Or Genesis. Mm-hmm. I went to Psalm 2. Like, yeah. um, because the Bible is not at odds with one another. Right. Right. Sometimes people out of... You know, I think there's some value to finding coherency in in amongst authors. What is Paul's train of thought and looking at Paul's literature as a whole as opposed to the Gospels? But when we get to the point where we're saying, well, Paul opposes Jesus and they just actually teach totally different things, we've undercut God's um, weaving together of the Bible. Yeah. And we've said God, like, and we're... we're we're no longer interpret using the Bible to interpret the Bible. Right. We're using the Bible to fight the Bible, and that's not a place you want to be either. Right. Well, and like that's the beginning of it is that we, you know, you tear apart the fabric of the authority of any authority that the Word of God has. Mm-hmm. But then, like we said, you get down into deeper theological issues. Well, like if Paul and Jesus didn't agree, yeah, on something, then you know you either discard all of the Gospels. In the life of Jesus, or you discard the other two thirds of the New Testament. Yeah, who, um, who do you listen to? Right. So it just becomes a very and and all of the theological issues that run current, the currents that run through those. So it, it's much more of a um, significant issue than we may have you may have been led to believe it is. Um, but that that gets into the weeds of hermeneutics and biblical interpretation, right? And, right, and Which, all of that. Yeah. But if we come back to the central issue then of what the scripture says and what our response to it is, I'm curious as to how you might respond or how you, we might begin to deal with like some of the um, uh, some of the sentiment around. Okay, if that's the position that you hold, mm-hmm. why don't you? Like, you obviously don't love those people then you know and how how do we as christians faithfully believe something and simultaneously um maintain a heart and a spirit of love yeah okay you know, the funny thing is, is the answer to that question is painfully simple. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's somewhat hard to articulate sometimes. Yes. And it's interesting because it is really difficult to find another issue um, where we are put in a similar position of, of saying, well, simply because you disagree or disapprove on a moral level of the behavior of someone means that you must hate them. Right. Right. Like let's take, um, stealing, stealing. That's a good one. That's, that's an even less controversial one than the one I had in my mind. It's a great one. We can all generally as a world, even outside of Christianity, stealing, no good, right? right? Bad. Like, bad. Stealing, Stealing bad. equals bad. Don't right. do. Yes. Wall Street, bad, right? Like, right. you. Like that's an easy narrative that just about anybody can easily pick up. Yeah. Let me keep what is mine. Let you keep what is yours. Earn what you get, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's very simple, you know, like, that is not a good thing. 
if someone steals something from you or from someone else, well, from you, you there is more of a there is more of a uh, there's more of a personal offense. Mm-hmm. So you would probably have a harder time loving that person if they stole something personally from you. But I find it interesting that particularly if you find, if you meet someone who has, has stolen something at some point, not from you, but from just somebody else, do you hate them automatically? Because you're like, well, I don't think that was a thing you should have done. Yeah. Right. Does that mean I hate them? No. 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 Yeah. Right. It becomes really clear and easy in most situations like that, whether it be stealing or lying or whatever, that it's possible to separate what someone does from their personhood. Yeah. Who they are. Yeah. 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 And that's right. That that's the case with pretty much everything. Yes. Like, um, we, you know, the the example that was coming into my mind is, we generally agree that alcoholism is not good, mm-hmm. that um, being hooked on drugs is not good, right? That that's not good for you. It's not good for your family. Not good for you in so many different ways. And, um, but that doesn't mean that because I disapprove of your abusive substances means I can't love you. Right. Right. Do you think that the difficulty in using the same kind of, like the same type of mindset when it comes to same-sex attraction or human sexuality issues in general, you think the difficulty comes from the, um, the assertion by those who do express same-sex attraction mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, I am not, like, I'm not choosing to do this like I would choose to steal something, sure. yeah. but that this is who I am, this is even how God has made me, mm-hmm. and therefore, if this is how God has made me, how can it possibly be wrong? Right. Yeah, I think that is, is that a, the crux of the issue. I, I think. I think on some level. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, and this is maybe a side issue to that an- to the answering of that question. But um, my, as I've grown up in the faith and in church, I remember, and it maybe it was just my experience in the churches I was uh, like in the circles I was running in. But I remember at some point very much understanding the Christian position to be, well, yeah, homosexuality is a choice. And then I remember the first time I ran across somebody who had a more nuanced understanding of that and said that, like, well, no, you didn't necessarily choose to experience same-sex attraction, but you're, you are making a choice as whether or not you live that out or mm-hmm. whether or not you choose to live a homosexual lifestyle, mm-hmm. w- which I think, well, and I don't know, maybe I'm making a bigger assumption, I think that that's a fairly well-understood theological distinction um, maybe it's not, mm-hmm. but I remember when that theological distinction distinction happened 
in the life of the church and public theology. Do you remember that, or was I, it just because I was younger and growing up? Yeah, no, as I don't. Happening? I guess I don't even really remember when that distinction really would have been made. Yeah, I, I think I, from my experience, that's kind of always been the distinction. Okay. Um, my, you know, I think that my feeling on it though is that that brings up many theological questions that I don't really know how to answer. Sure. Which is which would be first like okay. So the assumption then is okay God did or that they're God made them this way. That's a tricky statement in right. in and of itself. Right. Like um but God made them this way and what he's asking them is to just have uh, an extraordinary level of self-control or theological understanding so as not to express the sexuality that they experience experience mm-hmm. um which is feels unfair to me yep it feels like a it feels like an expectation that i wouldn't want you know as a heterosexual man right i wouldn't i wouldn't i would feel like well why? Yeah. Why wouldn't I express what I feel is a part of me? Mm-hmm. So it does bring up those questions, um, but I don't think necessarily that it's it's particularly improper or incorrect to say, okay, there is a proclivity um, for this attraction, and because of what I know about God and who. He has made me to be. My response to those proclivities may be different, right? Than others, you know. I like so. As for instance, many people know that I um, that I have a history of addiction, and that that there's lots of questions whether or not addiction is hereditary. Yes, right. And it seems to be an answer. Yes, and yes, yes, and mm-hmm. no. Right, right, um, and um, you know, because I have a, a history in my family, a strong history in my family of addiction, and so, and so, I would say, well, okay, yeah, I, I do feel that we would call what I have an addictive personality, mm-hmm. and I can see that even in the sober life that I've been living for the last, you know, seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to alcohol, that um, that yeah, I have a proclivity for addiction. I've made the choice to set that aside, right? Right, but that has not done away with this sense of being addicted to other things that mm-hmm. I see is very easy for me. Yep. Yep. Right. I have a very addictive personality right. across the board, not just with substance, mm-hmm. and so can see how something that is not God's heart or desire for my life to be a part of who I am, right? What does that speak to me theologically? It speaks to me that there is a, that, that we still don't understand and we never will. Right. The depth of sin's hold and pervasiveness in humanity Mm -hmm. that, that sin goes 
down into our personhood. Yeah. Not just our conduct, Mm -hmm. but it affects, yes, who we perceive ourselves to be and who we actually are outside of Christ. Yeah. Right? And until, until faith in Christ is expressed and we go through the lifelong journey of being sanctified by his spirit and in his word to be transformed into his image and likeness um, that we will always experience to some degree mm-hmm. those those proclivities those um, those pulls to things that we, we 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 know are not God's best for us but we feel are still deeply personal to who we are right Right. I mean, what you're articulating is a theology of sin and depravity. Right. Exactly. Right? Total depravity. Total depravity. Like right? A good Calvinist that I'm not. Right. Right. I'm not a Calvinist. Right. Like, if I was a Calvinist, I would be like, total depravity all the way right. here. Right. 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 It's uh, tea in the tulip. Right. Tea in the that's tulip. what this is. It's yeah. total depravity. You know? Yeah. And so, like, that, and so, like, you said that, that, statement of the interlocutor the the person who's saying well god made me this way well yes and no right Right. like um i don't want to deny that god made you but like you were born with sin you were conceived in sin all of us have gone astray like sheep Mm -hmm. uh following our own ways we've all um have our own proclivities of sin that are not just um that are not just we do bad things, but that inside of us is a broken person, a broken soul yeah. that desires bad things. Yeah, we are not basically good and we do bad things. Right. We are we are broken at our core. Yes. We are we are fully bad. Right. And it's Christ in us that makes us good, not the other way around. Right. And so your particular brokenness and sin is going to be different from everybody else's, mm-hmm. right? Like, for me, substance has not been my thing. It's never been a big issue for me. Mm-hmm. But I've definitely had my other sin struggles. Sure. I've definitely got my other proclivities in ways in which I'm a broken person. Um, and I do think, I think it's really important to make this distinction, is that Christ is not, in the Bible, is not putting just a... Uh, I don't remember what it, exactly what you were saying, but this triggered this thought in me. But there is a um, – the Bible has restrictions on everyone's sexuality, right? Yes. The, the, the heterosexual person has ways in which they need to limit their sexual desire in order to be in line with God's word, right? Yes. If, if that means – well, I can't just pursue anyone I feel sexually desired towards right. if I'm in a covenant of marriage. Yeah, good point. Yep. If I'm outside of a covenant of marriage, I'm not married yet, right? I'm understanding sex to be for marriage and part of that covenant. Well, then God is asking me to not live this out yet. Right. And so we're not like there's a dichotomy there when we're saying like well, part of my you're asking me to limit part of my sexuality and its expression and it's part of me. And we're like, yeah, that's kind of the ask that we feel God is making on everyone. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we are leveraging. Yes, there is a unique cost 
an absolute unique cost that is being made or that is asked of someone who experienced same-sex attraction and wants to pursue holy sexuality, there is a unique cost that they will know that others will not. But others still have costs and limits in which we must say, my sexuality, my carnal flesh wants to go this direction, but I must withhold it for Christ's sake and by his power and his strength. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Right. And then there's an underlying... There's an underlying point here I want to make to what I just said, and that is that the goal is the goal is not heterosexuality. The goal is holy sexuality. Right. And I think I'm borrowing that language from uh, Christopher Yuan. He's a professor and writer who's um, struggled with same-sex attraction and wrote in several mm. books on this topic. Um, but he makes this point of saying like. The point isn't necessarily for the person who's experiencing same-sex attraction to become like a like you know Mister heterosexual in all of the ways. That's not necessarily the goal. The goal is for them to find how has God called them to be holy with the sexuality that they possess, mm-hmm. and I think that's a really important distinction that sometimes gets lost. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, maybe the goal has been. Heterosexuality. Right. That's the that's your goal. That's everyone's goal. Right. Well, well actually the goal is to be, you know, like holy. Yeah. Um, as Jesus is holy and be conformed in the image and likeness of yeah. God's son. Because so. there's plenty of heterosexuals that have lots of sexual sin. Oh yes. Yeah. Right. right. That's a good point. I like that. I like mm-hmm. that distinction. So yeah. I guess and then I think, you know, we're kind of running up on our hour that we normally hit. And I you know, I think that there is still a significant burden of shame and guilt in a lot of church spaces when it comes to sexual sexuality and sexual experiences mm-hmm. and wrestling through them. Mm-hmm. There's They've not really become comfortable to be part of an ordinary testimony yet, right? particularly if you haven't had some sort of... Um, I don't want to be dismissal if this is anybody's story, um, but if you've not experienced a radical transition in your sexual experience and expression, if you're still in a place of like, actually, like I'm not acting out on my same-sex attraction, but I still feel it, um, that's not a common thing that ends up in testimonies on stages. Right. No. And I think that that creates an era that can still create a space inside of churches where people feel like it's not okay for me to tell people that I'm experiencing this, ask for help, ask for people to support me. What can I be doing and wrestling through? How can I do this with other people and not doing it alone? Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to take just that brief moment to say that like, if anyone's listening, like if you're at our church, like we want to be a church where you can come and like, wrestle with that yeah absolutely. we want to be your pastors mm-hmm. we want to love you through that we want to be with you you don't we don't want you to sit with feeling like the bible has said one thing and you're sitting underneath the thumb or the hammer of god right because your sexuality feels like it's not in congruence yep um we want you to meet jesus exactly we want you to experience jesus mm-hmm. and his love mm-hmm. um yeah, I guess that's my 
that's my shepherd's heart right there. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Like it, it certainly is. You know, your point about testimonies, like it becomes like a powerful part of a testimony for someone to say, "I'm an addict, mm-hmm. but I'm currently living a clean mm-hmm. and sober life." Yeah. Everyone's like, "Oh, bravo!" I'm so encouraged and inspired yep. by that. Yep. Someone were to say, "I." have homosexual attraction i'm not acting on that attraction right everyone's like (gasps) they feel yeah there's like this right (laughs) like um and the church has not done uh pastors have not done a particularly good job at unblurring the lines between Mm -hmm. like those two types of statements or experiences yeah to say, no, we, you, you are still welcome here in this community. Mm-hmm. Like we desire to shepherd you yep. and to get you closer to Jesus mm-hmm. and allow Jesus the um, the freedom and the place that He desires to transform you from the inside out and to speak into your life and to speak into your heart. Um, and uh, to display his love for you and to call you to holiness. And, um, and you know, there's a, there. I mean, it goes back to like what seems pretty simple in the church, but sometimes is not. It's like, well, who comes to this place? Mm-hmm. You know, who gets, who gets access to the community that calls themselves Christians? Is it those that are already good enough to be Christians? Which is a misnomer in and of itself, right? right? Um, or is it those coming to seek, um, like, community in their pursuit of life-transforming relationship yeah. with Jesus, yeah. no matter where they are mm-hmm. in that phase of their like? If you are like the poster boy for Sinful expressions and habits. Mm-hmm. You don't need to get yourself cleaned up before you come right. to the to the community of faith. At least here at Conduit, yeah. Like we welcome you and mm-hmm. love you, and we'll preach the word and yep. and ask that the Holy Spirit of God move upon your life, just like we would ask He would do to anyone. Um, but certainly, do not allow either past experiences or the work of the enemy to produce incredibly heavy guilt and shame yeah. upon you, um, stop you from, you know, yeah. responding to the grace of God. Yeah. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. A physician came to heal those who are sick, not those who are already not healthy. Not who are healthy. Yep. Yeah. Right. Like that's the, that's mm-hmm. the thing. Yeah. Well, we hope that in some ways this was, um, I don't know, helpful is the right word. Um, at the very least, you have a sense of maybe some categories in which to have the conversation with others or yeah. internally in yourself and mm-hmm. give you some opportunities to think through it. You know, if you maybe appreciate conversations like this or you would appreciate um, that we explore a little bit more the the complexity of theological yep conversation and Christian faith and sexuality, we can certainly do that. Yep. Or if you have a specific question, right. 
some specificity around something, you can certainly ask us. Ask it. Yeah, you can put it in the comments here, or you can text it to mm-hmm. our um, our mailbag line, which is 716-201-0507. And uh, we can either use that as a part two of this episode, or we'll include it in a mailbag if it's... Um, if it's appropriate there. But we do thank you for listening and thank mm-hmm. you for watching. And uh, um, we uh, we hope that it was helpful or maybe it made you angry enough to think through or pray about or yeah. walk with or uh, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what I hope it did in you, but <laughs> I know it's not an easy conversation for no, anyone to have. It's not. But in the same regard, it is also an easy conversation. It's very clear. Yep. So. And we hope we hope our heart has come through on this. We hope so. so. Yep. yep. We'll see you all next time. Thanks.